Welcome to the fifth edition. I can't believe it's already five episodes that we have released, or four episodes released. This is our fifth one of Real Talk with Rich and John. John, good to see you hey, once hey. again. Good to see you, Sue. How's everything going? Things are going very well. Excellent, it's excellent. Day 585 of the pandemic still. We're right stuck in the middle of it, but you know what? I'm, I'm still having a good time. I'm enjoying doing this show. It actually had me start doing using Zoom, forced me to use Zoom, and I am, I am loving them. I have my own show, Claw's Corner, on my uh, channel. I have this show with you. Then you have your stuff with Elmwood. So oh, Productions, yeah. So we're, we're keeping busy, which is great. Yeah. Wow. So, and the last episode that we did, you know, was with uh, Richie and uh, Gigi. That was yes. so much fun. That was so much fun. That was a great episode. Reggie's hilarious. <laughs> Did I say Richie? I meant to say Reggie. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I know what you meant. <laughs> Everybody's favorite badass ice cream man. Oh, man. Like, that was so much fun to listen to them tell their stories. So that was cool. So what are we doing tonight? Tonight, we are doing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which there's actually five, four movies. There was Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1956. There was Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1978. There was The Body Snatchers 1993. Invasion 2007. And then Assimilate, which I never even heard of that one. But that came out in 2019. So Yeah, I just heard about that one today. Yeah. Yeah. So you and I talked about this. My two favorites are the 1956 version and the 1978 version. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about the one thing I did um, of going through so i don't remember seeing these i think i saw invasion that had nicole kidman daniel craig and veronica cartwright which is kind of funny because veronica cartwright played in the 1978 version and what the director wanted was we're going to talk about this kevin mccarthy was the lead actor in the 1956 version and he was in the 78 one yeah he, he played at the yeah. end of the 1956 version he's running around going they're not they're here they're here they're coming mm-hmm. to get us in the 1978 version, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams are driving. Kevin McCarthy is running down the street. They're here. They're, they're here. Get yeah. He gets and there's like theories, like fan theories that he's playing the same character, still trying to let people know. After yeah, 20 years later. But I mean, I don't think so. I just think it was a fun thing to throw in for people who knew the original film. But yeah. Well, the director for that one is Philip Kaufman. And he said yeah. that he wanted to use that as a link between one movie and the other. But yeah. the con- the theories were that like 20 years later, he's still running around the street saying they're coming. So yeah, no. Some people look at that as a sequel. It's really a remake. Yeah. It's a, it's a very um, true to be the first one remake. You know, very. My God, yeah. I didn't, didn't realize really how close it was until I watched the first one again. Yeah. And I, lo- I love it. I know you said, um, well, tell me, which one do you like better? I like the original the best. Um, there's something about, um, I'm looking at his name right now for uh, characters, uh, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy and Dana Winter, like their, their chemistry. I, and, and there's something like just kind of loose about that film. Like it wasn't like a super big budget film. You could tell they were just really going for it. And yeah. I really enjoyed that kind of, that whole, that whole, that whole acting. There's some things that, that make me laugh out loud, some bad writing moments. But I, just, I had a lot more fun with that movie than I knew the 78 movie. I feel like some of the stuff in the 78 movie like bogged you down. Because there was a lot of commentary in that about the social world and things like that, you know, with the, with the new age people with like Jeff Goldblum's character and his wife or, or Leonard Nimoy's character kind of being really full of himself where you saw that in the, the original one too, the psychiatrist character was kind of high on himself, but not as, as, yeah, no, as, you know, I know what you mean. I like, I think the 1978 version, but it's similar to the thing. And I think from another world, I like both movies for different reasons. Yeah, they're so, both. They're as close as they are in the story. They're both very of their times. So they're yeah. different movies, you know. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about because um, I was going to say the second one is more dystopian, has more yeah. of that feel like the end. And the original was supposed to have that. The original yeah, and the, ending. Well, do you want to say it? Yeah. Then the studio told them it was too dark, too nihilistic. They had to do something more positive. So that's when they added in the opening, the beginning. Where yeah, you, where you see the doctor being brought into the hospital, and the psychiatrist comes in, and then the end is where they realize he really is telling the truth, and they go to call the FBI. So they give it more of a there's still hope ending. Where I do appreciate the '78 version for going for the this sucks ending. <laughs> Not that she sucks, but her situation. She's there, you know, screaming because her you know her her 
man has been taken, you know. Do well, you, you know about that? The funny thing about the 1978 ending was that nobody knew that that ending was going to happen. I think the only one that knew was Donald Sutherland and not even the, uh, the rest of the cast. I don't think, uh, was it Cartwright, not Angela, Veronica Cartwright. She Veronica Cartwright, yeah. Veronica, yeah. She didn't know that was going to be happening either. And what happened was, let me find the notes next. I, I love this story where they found out, the studio even knew what the ending, didn't find out what the ending was until the screening. Like Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, speaking of Empire Strikes Back, they saw the screening at George Lucas's house. Oh, neat. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking for, this is the 1978 film. I have like tons of notes on both films. But uh, yeah, here it was. Sutherland was only informed of the scene the night before the shooting. Kaufman, the director, is not sure if even Cartwright knew until Sutherland turned around to point and shriek at her. And the studio executives only learned of it when a cut was screened for them at George Lucas's home. That's cool. So I think that, but I, oh, I, I love that. that surprise thing. So I remember seeing it, I was 10 years old when the movie came out. I remember seeing it in the theater and like, wow. It just yeah, I remember, it, it didn't scare me, but it's just, it sort of like left me a feeling. Wow. Especially at, over? at a younger age, you're just like, that's how they're going to end it with this horrible thing. But where's the action? Where's the hero going to save the day? You know, no, this is yeah. it was more of a, as, as fantastical as the movie is, is that dose of reality where you don't always get a happy ending. And uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I was probably in my 20s. And I remember like seeing it on like t one of the TV stations, you know, but it was uncut. It wasn't like a cable channel with no commercials. <laughs> and it was like, so it was, you know, the whole thing. And the whole, that whole, as soon as he gets up and goes and gets on the elevator, I'm like, oh. <laughs> and then when it happened, I had a feeling something was, I thought he was going to get out there and get attacked and become one of them. But the fact that he was one, the whole scene leading up to it just baffled me away. And when he pointed, I just thought it was going to be like she was when when she screamed over and she yelled over to him and she starts coming over smiling. I thought he was going to give her like the stare and that's how it was yeah. going to end, or she was going to have to kill him and that's how it was going to end. And then when he points and just lets out with that howl, ah! I know that shriek, and that's it. You know, no, I, I, it took me by surprise, but I think that might have been around the time period when they started realizing that ending on a low note is not exactly a bad thing. I mean, not everybody has no. to walk away happy into the sunset. Right. It was that 1970s, like, new wave of filmmaking where it, it was, there was this whole, that whole, like, you know, that whole um, post-Easy Rider phase. Yes. Not everything had to be a happy ending. There was a little more rebellion happening in films, and that movie, even though it was a science fiction film, definitely grabbed some of that and brought it into it all the way around, you know, with the commentary down the characters have had. You know, they gave it that kind of darker vibe. Um, I noticed something today watching the original film, and there's a point where um, Dr. Hill, is that his name? Uh, yes. Uh, Dr. Bennett. Dr. Bennett. Oh, Bennett, I'm sorry. Kevin McCarthy's character is on the run, and they're like, the cops like sound the alarm, and you hear the town's alarm go off. It's like this, this, this alarm sound. Eh, you know, the alarm oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds a lot like Sutherland pointing and screaming. Oh, you know, that's what I don't know well, if that was intentional or it's like the same tone, but different sound, but it's a very similar tone. And I'm like, I wonder if well, that's on purpose. Yeah, I think it might be because I have some other things to talk about the ending. Cool. Kevin McCarthy and Don Siegel, the director of the first movie and yeah. McCarthy, the star, they played a role in shaping the film's twist ending. Before filming, Kaufman had sought out Siegel for advice and the two were talking in the latter's office. McCarthy happened to come in. And the topic eventually came around to the original film's ending, which was the running around the street saying, they're here, yeah, they're here, they're here. They're here. And um, after coming up with the ending he used, he kept it secret from everyone. So it's actually Kevin McCarthy and Don Siegel helped Kaufman come up with the ending. So I'm guessing there is a link to that streak. There might be. Yeah, that could be a good, I mean, it's just a good sound effect to play with too. So yeah, that's cool. I didn't like, you just, uh, I just noticed it's him like, huh, that's kind of funny. Now I, the, Go, going back to the first, oh, one second. Yeah. Back, going back to the first film. Uh, yes. The, 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 I, I, re I remember the, just a, a memory of it, seeing it for the first time. It was like daytime TV on a Saturday afternoon, you know, the local chiller theater type thing or whatever. I love that. Channel 20 here in Connecticut. I don't remember what it was called, but I think it was Channel And it was, uh, I remember watching it and being, you know, 10 years old, maybe, maybe, maybe a little younger and just sitting there like, 
Ooh, <laughs> the whole thing. No, and I remember like even then laughing at some of the acting and things like that. But um, overall, really enjoying it. It stuck with me. You know, I remember when um, Invaders from Mars, the remake of that, came out. Yeah, I confused that movie with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So when the read the Tubi Hot Toby Tubi Tubi Hopper Hopper Tubi when his when his Invaders from Mars remake came out, I was like so excited to go see that because I was thinking it was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, and I went and Invaders from Mars. That remake is bonkers. It's crazy, and I loved it. But I was like, this isn't what I thought. And then I realized, oh, it's a different movie. <laughs> like it's a remake, different movie. But I love. We talked. We we talked about Toby Hooper in the past. Yeah. I like his movies. They're not great, but he did make some good solid. Yeah, and that movies. one was just bonkers weird. Like he went. I, I love I love bonkers weird though. That's yeah. those are my. Because I, I think people are too careful with the formula now. Too many movies are formulaic. Where you know you know what's going to happen in the trailer, you don't even have to. Even if you don't see the trailer, you can go in there and say, "Okay, this is going to happen. This is going to be the mid. There's going to be some kind of crisis. They're going to overcome the crisis." Yeah, it's well, yeah, that that, that that twist. Yeah, you have the three point story arc, and then you have, you know, on the other end of it, you have too many people with their wallets involved in making movies. You know, Hollywood wants things a certain way because they know how it's going to sell. You know. but that first one, and the actor, you know, the, like I said, I just I think he's such a cool actor, um, Kevin, McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. I just think every, everything I've ever seen him in, I just I, I like him as an actor. He has like demeanor to him, and he can play crazy and crazed really well. I think that's why they chose him for that movie because that that opening scene, which was a shot after the fact, but he's so unhinged about everything. He does it so well. He's believable even in that style of acting, you know. Yeah, but I loved because he played in several of the Twilight Zone series. Yep, it was in four I or five episodes, that. right? Yeah. yeah. And he was also in the Twilight Zone movie. He movie, played in yeah. The Good Life with it was the Billy Moomy story with, oh, that's very good. That's very yeah. good. Like, I'm going to send you to the corn maze. Yeah. So he was I'm pretty sure it's the first that. time I remember seeing him in anything like that really sticks out because that came yeah. out in 85, Twilight Zone. Yes. Yeah, so it was somewhere around there. It was like 83, yeah. 84, 85. So that window. So I was around between 8 and 10 when that came out. So yeah. I remember seeing him in that and, yeah. and seeing him in other movies and going, oh, my God, this, you, know, you start recognizing the face because you're at that age where those, those things start sinking in. And just liking him. I just thought he was a cool actor. Um, and the one thing I was saying before, like I mentioned that, there was a, there's a bit in it. This is like my biggest critique of the movie is the Becky character comes back to the country after being out of the country. And the doc, Dr. Bennett, Kevin McCarthy's character, hasn't seen it in a couple of years or whatever. And there's this joke about how I'm not the little girl you used to know, this and that, yeah. from the date, which I'm okay with all that. I really am like older women, older men, younger yeah. women, older women, younger men. I don't care about that. But it's literally 24 hours later, 20, they realize that they're screwed and everything's going to be bad. And she's like, I want to have your children. <laughs> it's been a day. You I was kissed once. <laughs> I just want no love. You know, I'm like, that's, like, I, I have a feeling when the script was written, there was probably more time. And then yeah. the film, it, they probably shortened it, but that line stayed in there. And I it, was laughing so hard, too. It reminded me, and I'm sure my view, our viewers will know what I'm talking about, Halloween 3, Tom Atkins. Yes. When he's in the, so where do you want to sleep? Where do you think I want to sleep? Yeah, it's, it's like out of nowhere. And it would be one thing if she was like, I want to fall in love and I would love to be with you, things like that. But no, it's, and it's also that melodrama of 50s, 1950s style filmmaking too. Yeah. But it was just like, a, a today, like when I was a kid, I didn't really think much of it. I just kind of giggled because the good love. But, you know, 45 years old, I'm like, she, she's been back in the country for like a week. She's seen him twice and she spent the whole day with him and now she wants to have his kids. Pretty extreme. <laughs> For him. I do have, I do have. Um, do you, well, we, we talked about the different endings of 1978 and the ending of 1956. Yeah. Do you know how the novel ended? Which I think it's funny because it reminds me of a War of the Worlds type thing. I guess Doesn't Jack Finney, who wrote the novel, what was that? Um, I don't remember how the novel ended. I haven't read the novel, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, Jack Finney wrote the novel. It was originally called Body Snatcher. And it ends with the extraterrestrials who have a lifespan of no more than five years. Leaving Earth after they realize the humans are offering strong resistance despite having little reasonable chance against the alien invasion. So it's similar right. to uh, War of the Worlds where they start dying off because they can't handle Yeah, War of the Worlds, or, um, th- that was definitely hit again on in Signs. Yes. And then, uh, you know, a lot of sci-fi probably hits on that kind of idea where the humans fight back and win, where in this case, it's just because we don't die as easy, we win. You know? 
Well, I thought it was funny, but just very quickly about the movie Signs. I liked the movie. I thought it was good. I like Emily Chapman. I most really part. enjoy it. Yeah. The funny thing I, about that movie is if water is the one thing that kills you, why would you pick a plant that's covered by 75% water? Yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> I, it's one of those movies where if you start pulling at the strings, it just falls apart. A lot of movies are like that. So, you know, their, their, their intel is probably as good as ours is right now. So. Well, you mentioned Kevin McCarthy, and I think he did a great job. You know, he wasn't even the original choice. No, First they no. Gig Young, Dick Powell, Joseph Cotton, and several other roles. Um, I guess he wasn't even picked. It was Richard Kiley was picked. He turned it down. And then they said, all right, Kevin, you got the role. So he was That's actually awesome. second, third choice. And I'm so glad because I know we keep saying this, but I can't picture anybody else in that role because he played it so perfectly. So sometimes, yeah. you know, the stars align and things work out for the best because it would be a completely different movie if it didn't have Kevin McCarthy's yeah. paranoia. And it's just just it's, like I think the remake would be completely different if they didn't go out on a living cast Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Well, you know why they did that was because uh, he was working with the director, which Philip Kaufman, and Phil they were Kaufman. making a new star. Yeah, they were making a new yeah. Star Trek in 1976. Then Star Wars came out and the know, whole thing got bad blood. Yeah, so they, they scrapped that. When he was doing, he wanted to be, he was sick yeah, of Star being Trek typecast. Star Trek phase two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he was, um, Leonard Nebo was sick of being typecast, so he said, you know what? You have to play this role. He plays a psychotic psychiatrist. I yeah. thought he did a great job. That was one of the first movies I saw. I was like, wow, he, he can really act. Oh, yeah. Because you, I mean, he's so creepy in this movie. I love he it is. because there's one scene where Brooke Adams or is it Nancy, or Cartwright comes running out and he's right there and mm -hmm. it just I think the, the music plays along with it and you're the whole time like even when he's not a pod you're like this guy's just evil <laughs> he's just kind of a he's a prick yeah he plays, yes. he plays a really good prick yeah <laughs> when they're all saying like what's what's great about that that the second film it, you know the 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 78 film was all the casting and it was like spot on too oh yeah like one of Jeff Goldblum's first movies and he nailed it. Like everyone in Bill right? everyone involved in it was like pitch perfect for their parts. I'm not a huge Donald Sutherland fan. I'm not going to lie. I don't dislike him or anything, but some of his stuff, especially later in his career, he seemed like he was phoning it all in, you know? Well, I think his biggest accomplishment, I think his biggest accomplishment was having Kiefer as a son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but like his, like, but like a lot of his later roles, it's, it's like late eighties forward. Like, I just feel like he was just bored and just doing it for the paycheck. And it's, yeah. you know, um, I love Kelly's heroes. I thought that yeah. was a great movie. And I yeah. love you. Know, I think probably one of my favorite movies with him is ordinary people, but that's going back to the early eighties though. Yeah, yeah exactly. But later on in his career, he just kind of gave up. And, but some of his acting in general, I just never really got behind something about him was off putting to me, which is what made his part in, Body Snatcher is so good. Yeah. Oh, like that's why his character was so cool because he, I don't know something about it. It, it was like the um, Don't Look Now. Is that the name of the movie? Or Don't Look Back? I'm not sure. But I have to look that one up. Where his quality of acting, his style of acting that I may not always like, I really dug in that because the type of character he was playing, you know? Um, yeah, there's certain actors that I cannot stand. I see them in other movies. I'll give you an example. I hate, um, oh my God, who's the guy playing Speed? Keanu Reeves. Wow. Like the, yes. Um, the score for the original film. I'm gonna go back to that real quick. I love that. Carmen. Yeah, that was the only. I think when it was that one. It was the only score he did. I think. Or no, I think really? it was the 1970. No, I'm sorry. It was 1978 version. That oh, was the okay. only score he did. But this one, the music. But who was who did the music for the first? I'm one? looking up right now. I'm looking up the Carmen Dragon. That's it. Yeah, I have it in my notes. Carmen Dragon. Uh, yeah, he was a composer who who wrote classical music and did a bunch of stuff and also did. A handful of films, like not a lot, but he did a handful. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was the 1978 version where I was reading whoever did the music for that movie. That was his only score. And I thought, I mean, the score was simple, but it was very effective in the second one, in the 1978 version. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. I'm going yeah. to notes. But right, well, while you're looking through notes, I want to talk about the naming of the movie. The original yes. movie, because the story was called The Body Snatchers. And they well, no, were, I was just looking at that. That might not be. The, well, yeah, so, but they didn't want. Right, yeah, right. yeah, the bias snatchers after the Finney yeah. serial. However, Wagner, who's the producer, said that he wanted he wanted to avoid confusion with the 1945 Val Luton film, The Body Snatchers, which had Boris Karloff. Yeah. Yes. So they had a couple other titles, which 
this one, it was called, they wanted to call it, they come from another world, which is too close to the thing from another world, which came out right. around that same time. And then the other one was called Sleep No More, or Evil in the Night and World in Danger. I don't like Invasion of the Body Statues is the best. Yeah. 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 I have to say, though, I mean, the whole movie is about becoming a pod person. Is it really that bad of a thing? It <laughs> Basically, is. you. No, <laughs> no, the reason I'm asking is because you have no emotion. I mean, they're like, but you can't feel love. You can't feel hate. There would be no more wars. There'd be no more hatred. There'd be no more Twitter wars. There'd be no more. <laughs> I mean, everybody would just be like, hi, how are you yeah, doing, but- John? Hi, Rich. <laughs> but that, but then there, but then there's no. You have no unique personality. You're not your own person. That's true. Well, I'm, you know, I'm like making not, a joke out of it, but yeah, it's yeah. Like, I mean, I like get the idea, but also to do that, you also become a slave, and that's the problem. Yeah. Is those pop people were becoming slaves to these aliens, you know? And, you know, so it's like that catch. You know? Yeah, sure, I would love to have no war, but at what cost? You know? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, there's there's like good and bad, and it's mostly bad. But that's out of a lot of the alien movies that came around. That's probably like yeah. the, le- the most benign version of what could happen, of like yeah. bad things that could happen. And that's it's what like- makes it so unsettling, I think, too, is like, because we live, you know, and, you know, the, the director of the original film said there was no social commentary. That's what people found in yes. watching. You know, and I can understand the, the, the fear of communism or the fear of McCarthyism and, you know, the Red Scare and all that. I can see that in there. And I don't, if it wasn't intentional, that's great, you know, but it's hiding in there. And then with the, the 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 78 version, you know, we had that, there was definitely like an undertone of, you know, following the masses and all that as well. That was yeah. in the late 70s where culture was changing and everything was Jonestown. homogenized. You yeah. know. Well, he said that the director, Phil Kaufman, said it was sort of a, a play on um, Jonestown, which happened not too long. Yeah. Right, not too long, right before, it was like right before Jonestown, um, where everybody drank the Kool-Aid happened right before yep. this movie came out. So he said he was having a take on that. And like you said, following people and it was a cult leader. So, um, but I have right here a quote from the director who said, neither him or Dan Main Waring, who wrote the script, nor the original author, Jack Finney, nor myself saw it as anything other than a thriller, pure and yeah. simple. There was no undertones at all. People want to look into so many deep things. And like you said, during that time, the Red Scare was a big thing, and a lot of movies mm-hmm. were coming out with those general themes. He just wanted to make a good movie, and right. he succeeded. And again, with the remake, it wasn't so much about hitting those social commentaries. It was more about like the Jones something, the followers, the blind following the leader. Yeah, and that's still an issue we have today. Like that movie still stands today. We have people right now who follow their leaders completely blindly in the U.S. That and it's like wow. Yeah, without thinking for themselves and doing their own research, that's terrifying. And here we are, you know, talking about a movie that timely again. You know, you, know, you talk about you know the thing with the quarantines, and now we're talking about this other movie. It's similar to the way a lot of people are looking at things right now. They just watch the media and go, "If that's what they say, then that must be true." You know. And I know. And the funny thing is, is we're not picking these movies for that reason. We're just no, picking them because we like them. These movies, and it's they've been random. Like, oh, we love Evil Dead. We love Phantasm. Oh, wait. Invasion yeah. of the Bye Snatchers. And it's funny, but now that when we start talking about it, you're like, you're right. Yeah, this is very mm-hmm. relevant now. So next one has to be something completely off the wall, not relevant at all. <laughs> I do have some ideas. We'll talk, we'll talk <laughs> off the air. But I wanted to go through the cast. We talked about Kevin McCarthy, and I said he was in the Twilight Zone. He, yep. was, in, uh, the, he was in The Howling. The Howling, yes, he was. Yeah. Brown in 1978, which I love. That was Joe Dante. I think it was his first movie. It was a Roger Corman production. And he directed that. He was working for Roger Corman. And it's just a fun movie. They did a remake. And the remake is good as well. But I love I never the saw the remake. Yeah, it was one of those I missed the boat on. Because I love the original so much, I didn't want to see the remake. You know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's good. It's just a, one of those things you have to say, all right, it's its own movie. And it's a lot of fun. Now, yeah. Dana Winter, I, I, I want to do some research on her. Because watching her, I said, she looks so familiar. And I found out why. She, Invasion of the Biosnatchers was what she was mostly known for. But she did a lot of TV. She was in my she was on a lot of TV. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock, Get yep. Smart, Marcus Welby, Hawaii Five O, Rockford. She was Files, those actresses Hartford, who they guest starred on everything. Yeah. Yep. The one I um, found interesting, he played Jack, which I love this name. I don't know if it's a stage name or not. King Donovan. That's King a- Donovan. What a great name. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't really find a lot about him, but here's one thing that I found very interesting. He married Imogene Coca. 
on October 17, 1960, until his death from cancer, June 30th, 1987, where he died at the Connecticut Hospice in Brantford, Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. But he, so, I mean, there's not really a lot some, of... He did some small directing work, too. Yeah. So he did die here in Connecticut. Yeah. And then, of course, we had Morticia herself, Carolyn yes. Jones, she was in it. Yeah, I, I remember the watching when I was watching it today. I knew she was in. I knew it was her. Even when I was a kid, I knew who it was. I knew that it was her. And again, watching it today, I'm just like, it's so cool that Carolyn Jones was. Yeah, she was all over the place for years. Don't get me wrong; she had a very good career, you know. And um, but like just seeing her in that place and completely against. I mean, Adam's family came after this and all, but like it's completely nothing like an Adam's family type character, or even another character she played later in her career where she was always powerful women. She kind of yeah. a meek woman in this. And it's really fun to see that. Yeah. Yeah, no, she did a great job in this. And at first, I mean, I know what she looks like, obviously, but yeah. it took me a second to realize to for, I forgot that she was in this movie until I started watching it. I'm like, oh, that's Morticia. That's Carolyn Jones. Yeah. Yeah, Carolyn Jones. Now, off topic, are you a Munsters or a Lily or a Morticia fan? For me, I'm always, I'm, I'm a Lily person. I love Lily. I, you, you know, like, I, as a child, I would always confuse the two shows because they're always on back-to-back on TV. And just, I never really got into either of them, but I'm going to go with an Adams Family person. I'm going to go with an okay. Adams show. Um, I, I, and as I got older, I got really into Tim Burton. And, I, yeah. and, and he was really influenced by, by Charles Adams and his work and things like that. So I just kind of leaned that way, I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, for me, I grew up watching The Monsters. Yeah. It was on Channel 11 in Connecticut. And it was on all the time. I love, I love the monsters. I am an Adams Family fan, but if I had to pick one, yeah. it's funny because I saw the pilot for the monsters, and they had somebody that looked and sounded just like Morticia, and they fired her after the first. It might have been after the pilot because yeah. they said he's way too much like Morticia. And then they brought in Yvonne DiCarlo. Yeah, Yvonne DiCarlo is gorgeous too. Like, oh my God, yeah, actress. Yeah. was a great actress too. That's why she got the, that role. You know. Yeah. There's a couple of trauma movies that she's in, and the movies are horrible, but <laughs> yep. she's, she's good no matter what she does. Yep, exactly. She made a career out of it, you know? Well, really quick, for Invasion of Snatchers, it came out February 5th, 1956. Yep. The budget was only, I mean, back then it might have been a lot of money, $417,000. It grossed $3 million. So it yeah. made a profit. Well, if that forward was, that's a small budget for the kind of film it was. Like, you know, meager, I guess is a good word for it. It wasn't a huge yeah. budget. And I know I was reading about it in, in my research that they that the, the studio actually asked them to cut the budget. Yes. And, and cut the shooting days down. And they still went over budget and over days by a few, but they still didn't hit as high as they originally wanted because they had to do those reshoots and all that. But still, you know, like, they made it a long-lasting film. Yeah. Well, I have it right here. They said it was originally scheduled for a 24-day shoot and a budget of $454,000. The studio later asked Wagner, the producer, to cut the budget and the producer proposed a shooting schedule of 20 days and a budget of $350,000. So, yeah, so it still went over. He still yeah. almost ended up where he wanted to be and got the movie he wanted. You know, <laughs> so that's good. If you look at $417,000, and I'm not sure back then if that included the marketing, but even if it didn't, $3 million, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy walking away with that. Yeah. If I could get that budget for one of my movies, I'd be happy right now. This is year 2020. You know? <laughs> There is a small cameo in this movie that I'm not sure. I would have never noticed if I didn't read about it. Sam Peckinpah. Yeah, I just read about that. I didn't know. I wouldn't have caught it. Just he I, plays the taxi driver. Yeah, as an actor or anything. So, yeah. But you know, it's in the movie, when I was watching it, there, I remember the scene with the meter reader. They have him, so the scene lasts a little bit too long. The shot, I'm like, why are they showing this meter reader for so long? And now I know why, because they're showing us they're walking out of the building but they're first showing a meter reader, and I thought they, they were getting a ticket. I well, was like, he, wasn't, right, he wasn't like Sam Peckinpah. He wasn't like super no, I know. Peckinpah, yeah. He was just, he was a guy working on the film, you know? Yes, yeah. I was reading about Don Siegel, which he's the director, and I found his career interesting because he started off directing montages for films, and he directed the Casablanca montage. Oh, wow, okay. And yeah, did, that's how he got, he that's how he got do, a start. Um, directed Dirty Harry. Alcatraz? Escape from Alcatraz. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and Dirty Harry, of course, yeah. Yeah, in the movie The Unforgiven, which is Clint Eastwood's movie, he dedicated it to Don Siegel and Sergio Leone, who did the um, you know, spaghetti westerns. Yeah, which makes so sense. He they said gave that, him his career. Yeah, Don Siegel, um, Clint Eastwood is very appreciative of what Don Siegel did for his career. 
because they worked together the first Dirty Harry and, like you said, Escape from Alcatraz. But he also worked with Elvis, Charles Bronson, um, Lee Marvin, and John Wayne. He, he, and he, he, and he did some Twilight Zones too, didn't he? One or two? Yes. Yeah, okay. So, all in all, I, I said, I think if I had to pick one or the other, I might go with the 1978 version, but by no means did I not it's, like this movie. I thought it was yeah. a great movie, and I would recommend it to anybody and everybody that's willing to watch a good movie. Yeah, and a huge thumbs up for that movie. Yeah. And I liked it too is because the acting wasn't – we talked about this with the thing from Another World where the, those vaudeville actors where they project. This was more natural. It was around yeah, the same th time. This was, the acting was really good. Yeah, this was um, like one of those films where, you know, like they did use a lot of you know, TV and movie actors at that point in it. There weren't a lot of theater actors in it, and I think that that had something to do with it, maybe. You know? <laughs> maybe, but whatever it was – the acting was very genuine. It didn't even seem like they were acting. It just seemed no. like Kevin McCarthy yeah. was all over the place and like, oh, oh my yeah, God, he was. I, I, it was him and King. Him and King's their performances. I think really grounded the film. Yes. You no, know, they really kept it. And even when even when McCarthy's going crazy in those scenes towards the end, at the very beginning, towards the end, yeah. you, it's believable because you see how far he's been pushed. You know, the woman he just re, re met after a year away or two years away fell in love with him overnight, and now she's a monster. <laughs> It would drive me crazy too. He's well, you know what? A I young love woman and he loses his mind. You know, <laughs> she she loses becomes a monster. Yeah. This is another movie like we talked about where you don't know if they're the pod person or the real person. But also, imagine knowing if you fall asleep, I become one of them. That, yeah, that's, that's. I love the fact it's like you could almost feel when they're taking the speed or whatever drugs they were taking in the first one and the second one it was speed but yeah the fact that like oh my god there's i can't can't imagine like having to stay up all the time and if i fall asleep am i am i gonna know who i am and uh it was i love how they the, they created the tension with that in yeah both films. yeah they, they were both very you know they left you on edge and i like that you know both of them leave you on edge Let's go to 1978. Let's move on to 78 now, yeah. Well, I love this because normally this would not happen now. December, it was released December 22nd, 1978. That's a Christmas movie. They yeah. never release Christmas movies like that anymore. Now it's all Disney, Star Wars. You or know, it's, it's either like that, like the big Hollywood blockbuster films because they do those in the summer, they do those in December. Or it's yeah. the, like smaller films they're trying to bait for the Oscars. Yes. Put out in November and December to get like, okay, this is a smaller drama or smaller comedy, but we know it's really good and could win awards. So they'll put it out around then for the Golden Globes and the Oscar nominations. You know, yeah. and this movie was neither of those kind of things. Even then it wasn't, you know, I'm sure it won some awards, but it wasn't, um, you know, it was a different time, you know, and it was count, I'm sure it was counter programming to whatever kids' movies were coming out. It was even in 78. And in the 80s and all that, like, the holiday season was mostly a PG season, you know? Yeah. They'd throw a movie like this out because adults were like, God, I just want to see something that's not a cartoon or a kid's movie, you know, and that would help. And the movie was a success. Yeah. Well, it, it, the budget, which I think is funny, it's $3.5 million, which was what the first one The other one made, yeah. Yeah. And it grossed $25 million. Yeah. So it made some money. It, it did very well. Like, but just like everything else around that time, not everything else, but all the movies I like around that time period, it didn't find its audience until after video came out. That's well, this is another one where it did yeah. well, but then now it's considered a cult classic because VHS and now people, yeah. oh my God, it's one of the best rebakes ever made. I mean, it did win some awards. And um, I think, uh, what's his name? Philip Kaufman won the Saturn Award for Best Director in 1978, nice. which I'm not sure if the Saturn Award's this, um, the equivalent of an MTV movie award, but... <laughs> I would take a Saturn Award any day over an MTV Movie Award. Oh, no, me too. That's yeah. I would, take, I would even take a Saturn Award any day probably over some of the bigger awards like the Oscars and stuff because it's yeah. given to you by people that really care about films. Yeah. But Body <laughs> Snatchers was, yeah, the 78 version. I like it a lot. Like I said, the first few times I saw it, I was always blown away just because it felt real. Even though it's a yes. film, it felt like the way they shot it. They shot it in a real city. They shot it with San Francisco. They didn't do like a lot of fake, even if they were fake sets, you didn't know they were in sound stages. They shot it to make it feel like you were in a real, real setting. And well, that, there's two scenes that I'm going to bring up right now that, that yeah. really had a lasting impact on me. One's where Sutherland is falling asleep and he's half asleep and 
Veronica Cartwright screaming, wake up, wake up. Yes. He wakes up and he sees himself being as a pod. And that's when he takes the hoe and starts stabbing him with, with the hoe. That was a very memorable scene since I saw it in 1978. Oh, it's because it's so... Scene, it, yeah, go ahead. It's jarring, that's why. Yeah. Like well, the other scene is the dog hit the homeless man's face. <laughs> oh, what the hell is that? Like... <laughs> that was that was I think a scene where maybe they wanted to show off their special effects, but it was just I thought it was fitting and it was great part of the movie. It was and wonderfully I will never, ever bizarre. Yeah, yes. wonderfully bizarre. It's one of those things like like an average cinema goer that I thought go see a horror movie or a thriller might see that that little bit and just be like, what what even just happened here? Where somebody like you or I who like weird movies and something like that happens, like ah, there's the weird I've been waiting for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I, I remember laughing so hard when it first came out in the theater. I, I lo- and that scene, along with the other one, have always stuck with me. Whenever I think of that movie, yeah. that, those two scenes in the ending, where him shrieking. Like, ah! And that shriek just stays with you. Like, I remember, I think I saw it when I was, you know, whenever I saw it. But I remember about five years ago, maybe. It was on PBS. It's the, you know, the PBS shows movies every now and then. And they were showing that. And I hadn't seen it in forever. And I came in in the last 10 minutes. I'm like, I think this is body. Oh, this is body snatchers. And when the shriek came up, it did the chills all over again. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot how weird that awesome, how awesomely weird that sound is. Like, yeah. And now it makes so much more sense now doing the research because Veronica Cartwright's expression is so genuine. genuine. Now we know that it was genuine because she had no idea that that was going to happen. Yeah. She looks terrified. Yeah. And it's a perfect way to end the movie. But you know what I like? I was we were talking about um, you watched it on PBS. Remember back in the eighties, they didn't have they had like movies would never we didn't have VHS tapes then or beta, so they had the ABC movie of the week. Yes, I remember. Oh yeah. So in nineteen eighty, back then you would have to wait three four years for a movie to be shown on TV, and it would have to be edited. Edited. And sometimes they add new scenes in, like we cut scenes. Yes. But. Yeah, Jaws was one of them where they have yeah. all these new scenes in there. But this movie came out, um, was an ABC movie of the week, 1980, and there's only one scene they changed. It was a scene where Brooke Adams was walking through the greenhouse with all the pods, and in the movie she's naked. Yeah, in the movie she's naked. Yeah. In the movie on TV, they had her wearing a red dress. I'm not sure right. if they filmed that for knowing that that was going to be on TV in a couple of years, but that was the that was really the well, only difference they had for ABC. I know a lot of times they will film things like that twice. Like they'll do two different takes because they know it'll be on TV eventually. So they'll do the yeah. TV version, you know. Or, I mean, a great version of, a great example of changing a movie for TV is Halloween. You know, I mean, John Carpenter went back and shot all new stuff for the TV version, you know, because yeah. they had to cut some things out. So he got the opportunity and the budget to, well, we're cutting this, I want to add this, you know, and that was cool. You know, like, and there's Funny so many is- alternate cuts of that movie now because of that. Dune is another one, you know, like, I hate Dune, but like, the, I mean, they never got into it. Movie, like the TV version was so heavily edited and re-edited and reshot that uh, David Lynch took his name off it. <laughs> when you see the TV version, it says uh, Alan Peace, Alan Peace, Alan was it Alan Smithy, directed by Alan Smith, because he refused to have his name on the film. Oh, really? I didn't hear about that. He fought that, so the TV cut, not because they cut so much, because they put so much garbage and he didn't want in. He had he fought to have his name removed with the director's guild. I think for me, the funniest TV edit ever was when they showed Scarface on TV. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't even I mean, know why they would even try to put that on TV. But there's it'd be like putting Clarks on TV. You just, there's yeah. so, many, so many F-bombs, you just can't, you know? Yeah, well, at that time, when Scarface came out, I think it had the most Fs in one movie. So oh, in God. the movie, he's being interrogated in the theatrical version, like, hey, where'd you get that scar? Eating pussy? In the mo- TV version, and I turned it off right after I heard this. Hey, where'd you get that scar? Eating pineapple? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> Eating oh. pineapple? Don't my, even my... bother to put it on the screen. 78, you saw it in the theater. I did not. Um... Yeah, and so I guess I was reading about the production and said director Philip Kaufman had been a fan of the 1956 film. He likened it to great radio, which I can see what he's talking That's about. That's a great example, yeah. yeah. He had not read the novel until he agreed to direct a remake. He thought, well, this doesn't have to be a remake as such. It could be a new envisioning that was a variation on a theme. That being said, it's very much a remake. I don't think he realized yeah. how much he realized it, but 
you also mentioned there's a lot more underlying themes in this movie than there was in the original. Oh, yeah. And he really, he wanted to do it in San Francisco because that's where he lived. He goes, well, can I, ha- can I make it happen in the city I love the most? The city with the most advanced progressive therapies, politics, and so forth. What would happen in a place like that if the pods landed there and that element of pottiness was spread? So that was the reason he wanted to do it in a bigger city. And I think it had, a, like, the first one they're saying had more of a film noir. And yeah, well, I mean, it's all its time for sure, too. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm I, I, setting from, like, the, the upper class you know, small town, suburban vibe, but a higher upper class, you know, to the city. If you're going to do a remake, try to make it something different. And I think that they did, that was a great choice was putting it in San Francisco because you had a different vibe. And in, this, and in the 70s, the city thing was happening. People were all about living in cities and all that. So that was really cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of music, we talked about, I said his name was Denny Zeitlin. He, rele- he released the soundtrack. That was his only one. But you know who else worked on the music? I didn't realize this either. Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead recorded the banjo parts. Oh, okay. Well, Zeitlin did a lot of composing in general. He's a classical composer. Okay. Like 35 albums or something out. I do know that, but not of soundtracks. He's his own music. So, oh. so he was pretty well respected. You know, this, this was just his one and only movie soundtrack, which might be explained why Garcia ended up on that because he probably was aware. They were probably aware of it. He was probably aware of it, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's I didn't. I'm not a big Grateful that, Dead guy, but maybe they worked together at some point. Besides that, that's cool. Yeah. Well, Jerry seems to Jerry was around forever, and he probably worked with everybody. So everybody or knew yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. This movie you had a lot of cameos. We talked yeah. about um, this one had, of course, Kevin McCarthy. Then they had yep. Don Siegel, the actor who played the taxi driver. Yep. They had uh, Robert Duvall is also seen briefly as a silent priest sitting on the swing set, which you have to watch that very. You got to be looking for that. Yeah. And for special effects, I thought this is. I was reading about this, and they. I, I love. We talked about this in the seventies, that they didn't have CGI, and they found creative ways to make it work. And they said the scene at the beginning where the pods traveled through space, um, was one simplest. I found some vicious material in an art store. I think we paid twelve dollars for a big vat of it, and then we dropped it into the solution to reverse the film. Uh, huh. The dog with the banjo player's face. Another effective moment later in the film included a mechanism whereby the creature appeared to lick itself, and they said that only cost a couple bucks, but it's very effective. Like he it said, is. it's just and it's not CGI, which I love. It's just you know real effects like you do in your films. Thank you. And uh, I don't know. It's, I think I mean this one's probably gonna be a shorter episode, but there's a. I, I would highly recommend those two anyway. I haven't seen Invasion. I never saw. I did see, no. I did see Invasion. I didn't see the other one. Body yeah, Snatchers. I I saw Body Snatchers. The the ninety three. I'm going to my notes again. What year? Was yeah, it? see, I saw the one with Nicole Kidman, which was I think Invasion. Yeah, I saw the one in between, which had um, Meg Tilly and Gabrielle Noir and Force with Arlie Ermy. He was in that. Arlie, yeah, he was in it as well. Yeah, ninety three. Yeah, Abel Ferrer directed it who was yes on. that guy speaking of him he's a great director have you ever yeah, he seen did, um, bad lieutenant bad lieutenant that's what i was gonna go and king of new bad york lieutenant. yep and uh so this one like i mean i'll quickly just it's it's uh they moved the setting again this time to a military base it's about a military family and they and it's just it's just weak is the best way to put it it screams 93 straight the video all over it yeah. I don't think it was if it, if it wasn't straight to video it was straight to video it was probably one of those that got like a limited release just to put it out there but it's just eh. you know it, it's not memorable that's the thing like I remember when, when I was doing my research for this this episode I, I looked up the movie and I'm like oh my god I forgot about that I've seen that you know? yeah. I'm pretty sure I saw it like on video in 94 or something like that and well, remember, we, we spoke with Gigi and Reggie Bannister last week, and they yep. mentioned when Phantasm came out in 1994, it went straight to video because there was, at that time, that was the new thing where if a yeah. movie was under a certain budget, certain budget, it, certain bam, right to video. Yeah, certain and, studios would immediately do that if it was under a certain budget, or if it was just a movie that they didn't have a lot of faith in. Well, you know what I like back in, I mean, we, we can talk about the different time periods. In the 50s, they would do double double features double features like, all the time Beijing the drive-ins were a big deal and you know things like that yeah Beijing and the Bias Snatchers the 1956 version first came out as a double feature with the Atomic Man in some areas Indestructible Man I would see? love the I wish they had that now you go see you know pay whatever price it is see two great movies and that's I keep I saying I want to open a small little theater somewhere in Connecticut 
like 150 seats and just do things like that. I would love to do that, you know? <laughs> That's what um, Connecticut Cult Classics does. I love yeah. that he does that. And um, he just rents out the theater once a month or every, every other month and plays yeah. these great movies along with these obscure trailers, movies that you and I would know almost every single one. <laughs> I watch it, my brother and I are like, have that one, saw that, have that, saw that. Yep. They're really uh, like, what are you talking about? But Body Snatchers, the, read, the, the third version, the 93 version, uh, very missable. If, you, if you're some, watching this or listening to this and you haven't ever seen it, you're not going to miss anything by not seeing it. You know? yeah, I, I'm not, I, I missed it, and I really don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you stumbled on it online free one day, try it maybe because you like the other versions, but you'd probably get bored and turn it off. <laughs> now, did you see Invasion with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig? I didn't. I remember when it came out, and I just had no interest at that point. Part of the problem was, like, your Keanu Reeves thing, Nicole Kidman drives me crazy. Oh, really? See, I, I like her. I loved see, um, her first movie was Dead Calm with Billy well, Zane. Well, I'll go back to her older films, Dead Calm, BMX Bandits, even before Dead Calm. Yeah. You know, even, even you know, like, in, into the 90s, okay, but then I just, something about her in later years, I just kind of, I'm not saying she's a bad actress, I just, something about got under my skin it was maybe it was the Scientology thing I don't know <laughs> but maybe it's something about it just like I just had enough of her for a while I think it was post eyes wide shut I just and so I just never I never saw it like I, I want to now that I've done some more research it looks interesting I don't know what did you think of it though no I never thought those oh, are the so. okay no no I, I think I wanted to see that one I did want to see at the time and if I did see it I have no memory of it <laughs> I feel just, like it came just, and went pretty quick too though Yep. <laughs> right. So I'm looking at the invasion. I'm looking because I did yes. a lot of research on it, and it was 2007. Yes. I tell you right, that was another reason why I missed that movie because my life was, I was so busy in 2007 doing a million different things that I probably I, in the year of 2007, I don't, I don't think I went to the movie theater more than five times. So <laughs> that was not on the list of things to see. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to see. I'm, let me get the paperwork on that. Um, so I did write some things down about that. Now, Invasion was, which I'm not really sure of his name. It was, uh, who directed that? But yeah, so Meg Tilly, Arlie Ermey. Oh, sorry, that's Biosanthers. Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig, and Veronica Cartwright, which you're looking at the picture right now. I never met Veronica, but I do have a picture with Angela Cartwright, who played Me. Penny in Lost in Space, yeah. and also Sound of Music, and she played in the Danny Thomas show. Yeah, the, uh, directed by Oliver Hirschbeigel. Yeah, that name does not ring a bell at all. And, and an uncredited James Mateague. Who's that? If he was like he, he was um he was an assistant director on the Matrix films. Okay. Directed a V for Vendetta. So they okay. Him in to do like cleanups after the fact, you know, reshoots or something. And the original director directed Downfall. I've never heard of that or Das Experiment. I don't know these films. He's a German director. Nothing. Yeah. Now that it does not. I mean, I remember when it came out. And I think at that time, too, I mean... Looks like the Wachowskis co-wrote it, which explains why the Matrix people were involved. Joel Silver did. Okay, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like... I mean, I said I personally like Nicole Kidman, but I like Daniel Craig. I think that he's... Even before the whole James Bond thing, which I think he... I really don't watch the new James Bonds. I just don't... Uh, they're boring me. But I thought he's a great actor. I haven't Before seen that. a James Bond movie since Timothy Dalton's second really? movie, second and last one. So that's where I, think I my last James one, Bond. I think the last one was Jaws and Moonraker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was Sean Connery and Roger Moore. Even though I like Pierce Brosnan as an actor, it's just I sort of gave up on the franchise. I, yeah, I, I was never a big Bond guy anyways. And the, the Timothy Dalton ones both came out when I was like in junior high school, early high school. And they played the 99 cent second room theater in my neighborhood, which I went to see everything. And it was something to do on a Friday night with to see both of them, you know, as they came. And I liked them both, but it wasn't like I have I've never seen the Pierce Brosnan movies or the Daniel Craig movies. So. And most Daniel Daniel Craig, here's what I don't like about the Daniel Craig version or Bond movies, because back in the Sean Connery, you had like Goldfinger and Mad Hat, whatever his name was, and in uh, Roger Moore, you had Jaws. You had like um villains that were bigger larger than life larger than life now they yeah. have yeah now they have the villain he played freddie mercury in um the bohemian rhapsody oh, i mean movie. That is, but the character still may be larger than life i mean but oh, I, I know no, i'm just you know what i'm saying i still won't go see the movie though you know yeah 
but no, the, but the thing is, the characters really aren't larger than life. I saw one movie and it's like, really, this he's the he's the main villain. Yeah. It's just that they were, it, it, I don't know, I don't know what they're going for, but it's just. I mean, not- I know they're going for a more going to play it more straight, which is what they did with both of, um, yeah, Timothy Dalton's films. They played it more straight. Yeah, they went more serious with those two, and everybody hated it, so they brought Pierce Brosnan in. And then times have changed and people want it to be played more straight, so they bring Daniel Craig in and they play it more straight. And that's fine, but I'm just not a big guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, probably won't be Sean Connery anyway, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah well, I, I, was, I, I grew up watching the Roger Moore ones first, so I was always yeah. like Roger. But then I went back and started watching Sean Connery and I said, yeah, he's good too. So those were like the two that I really. The were first into. one I ever saw the way through was Never Seen Ever Again. That was, that was his. Sean Connery came back. Came yeah, back. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he left, Roger Moore took over, then he came back, and that's when they said never say never again. So Yeah, that's why it was called that. And it was in the yeah. middle, it was done by a different studio because there was like all these legal issues. But anyways, that was the first one I ever saw all the way through. Then I went back and started watching more of them and got a kick out of them. But I just was never really my thing. Yeah. He Jones any day over Bond. But back to the, the, the invasion movie, you know. Um, it, it, uh, I just missed the boat on that one. And maybe, I mean, I'll probably end up checking it out at some point now that we've done this and talked about it. I'm curious. Yeah, well, that's why I love this show because I'm curious. It, it, it sort of not forces me because I love doing this. So we do this because we do it for fun. But I love going back and learning more about these movies and it gives me an interest maybe I didn't have for the longest time. To go, let me go back and revisit this or let me check this out now. Like like you said, Invasion, even Biosnatchers, I might want to check out the tape. It's free on Netflix or, or wherever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, assimilate. I'm curious about. It's done by yeah, I've John. I've never even heard of that till today or yesterday. I wonder John Berlowski, He directed some greats: Richie Rich's Christmas, Cop Dog, and Amityville Next Generation or New Generation. <laughs> He's got a good track record. So is this like like a super low budget movie? I don't know. I found out about it three days ago when I did my research. So I'm not sure. If it's like was straight to video or straight to streaming, or if it was like I don't remember ever being in the theater. I mean, I would. Remember I'm going that. to uh, I'm going to the handy dandy Wikipedia right now. Hundred percent <laughs> accurate, in case you didn't know. But I'm going there anyways just to see if there's anything about it. I can't even find it on Wikipedia. So let's go to IMDb. I'm just curious if it's a legit remake or if it's just a, like a. Like, oh, this is kind of like that. That's what I'm curious to see. Three friends making a web series in their town discover their neighbors have been replaced by creatures who are perfect copies. All right, so it's a remake. But it's an official remake. Still digging in. <laughs> like I said, handy dandy IMDB. <laughs> First they bite you, then they hunt you, then they become you. Ooh. <laughs> The movie was originally titled Extinction Event or Replicate. It's not giving me really anything else. Let's go to full credits. Maybe that'll tell me. I like the tagline for Invasion of the Biosnatchers 1978 from deep space. Dot, dot, dot. That was it. That's it. It's all you needed. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Less is more. So Absolutely, yeah. I think one of my favorite taglines has to be for the movie Get Out. Just because you're invited doesn't mean you're welcome or something to that effect. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to say that this is more of a um, inspired by than a remake because they don't give the author credit on IMDb for writing the book. Well, that's the only one also that doesn't have invasion or body snatchers or anything. It's a completely yeah. different name. So it has no variation of the name at all. So I'm guessing that it's going to be a lot different than the other ones. Yeah, I don't think it's an official remake, though. Uh, I think it's more uh, heavily borrowed by. Yes, that's the best way to put it. To me, I didn't see all of them, so it's hard for me to say this. Maybe it's not fair for me to say this, but 1978 is the best remake (laughs) of Invasion of Biosnatchers. You can say it. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with you. It said uh, the Chicago Films Critics Association named it the 59th scariest film ever made. Oh, wow, cool. So I'm not sure what were the first 58, but that's a 59 is not a bad number. That's not bad at all. You know, there's a million movies made, so that's good. 
I, I want to read the book someday. It's one of those things I want to track down and just read. I'm just curious to see, you know, because the book got great reviews and all that. And, you know. Jack Finney wrote it. It's called yep. The Body Snatchers. And it said in 2018 review published by Complex, the film, this is 1978, the film was ranked among the greatest science fiction films of all time. Invasion of the Body Snatchers is doubly impressive. It both improves upon the 56 film, according to this person, and Jack's, Jack Finney's literary source material was with a scarier disposition and more layered character development. This oh, absolutely with that. I'll go along with the character development, absolutely, and like yeah. disposition, sure, yeah. yeah the light, yeah, another thing I really liked about the movie was the lighting of the remake. There was, you know, it's funny you say that. There's something the in there. The whole cinematography and the lighting, like I said, it felt more natural, more real, and that can be scary as hell, you know? Yeah, well, Kaufman talks about that. He said, you know, it was a cinematographer, Michael Chapman worked with Kaufman to try and capture the film noir, feel the original in color, reviewing some classics of the genre before production. Some of the things they borrowed were scenes with the light giving way to shadow and shooting the film from unusual angles. There so we go. That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So as soon as you said that, I remember, so I, I have some things highlighted here. And that was one of the things I, I didn't mention because we went on to a different subject. But yeah, so that's, it's yeah. funny, you, you say these things and I'm like, oh yeah, wait a minute. I have a note about that, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, John, so I'll go along with like, you know, the original is my favorite. I do like okay. it one a ton. There's just something charming about that first one. It, the, yes, like, I agree with you. I mean, he really I, likes that one, you know. 1978 is my favorite version, but if I if this one was never I mean 1956 version is great on its own. I love the movie. The acting's great. Kevin McCarthy is you know one, I think it's yeah he's just control. over the top great yeah over the top great. So I would you know what it's almost like I don't even have a favorite. So you know we're talking because it's, <laughs> well, it's hard to as similar as they are they are still different films which is cool. Yes, they're very very different in different so many ways. But the core scenes are there. You know you have the psychiatrist. You have the uh, you know the person who, who that's that's my that's not my wife and you know yeah. right, there's one different there's one difference between the original and this in the original remember like do you notice anything different no there's no difference like the, no they difference. have more of a personality like the yeah guy they, they, they the can line. fake it better yeah they fake it better yeah. and in the in the remake you could tell because the the husband of uh, Brooke Adams he had no personality yeah, at all. Is. yeah deadpan. Yeah, and then the part was like, "Is she? I'm I'm gonna take your wife. Is she coming back tonight? Probably not. Okay. Like it's just the yeah, yeah just, no yeah, yeah no we're emotional. we're in the in the original. They still as they're just unfazed by things as opposed to just flat. You know, they're like we're we're yeah. things now, and you should be too. It'll be great. There's no like excitement or anger or yeah, just kind of hey, here we are. You know, like, it's like you don't know what you're missing. Come on, yeah, this is great." <laughs> and you're being lied to, you know, which is great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> all in all, both great movies. Check them out. John? Yes. My name is Rich Sear. It's plug time. Yes, you go first, I sir. Have, <laughs> I have several radio shows, nutmegjunction.com. You're looking at it right in the screen right now. Then I also do another radio show, Nutmeg Chatter Presents. And we have another one now, Nutmeg, or sorry, Claws Corner. The Zoom edition, which you can find on my um, channel, Rich, which is right here on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. And also, John and I do this show, Real Talk. I'm loving this. This is our fifth version of it. We have some interviews coming up again, hopefully soon. We had Reggie and Gigi. That was a great one. Check it out. That was great. John, speaking of great movies, go ahead. John, I'm John Bristol. I have ElmwoodProductions.com. You can find everything about me there. Uh, I have a film called Head. It's a horror film that just hit YouTube recently. So look it up. Uh, if you just look up John Bristol Head, it should come up pretty easily, or it's on Watch Movies Now as of this week, which is part of YouTube, so you can go to that channel. And um, yeah, Productions.com. we make movies with puppets and fun stuff like that. And this, of course, Real Talk, which is fantastic, and I'm loving it, and I'm looking forward to the, the next episode. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll talk off here, but I do have some movies in plan. So until then, we'll see you on YouTube. Have a great night, everyone.
thought the episode was over, and now here I am. While doing the research and editing this episode, I found another version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers that Rich and I didn't bring up. I honestly didn't even know it existed until I was doing the editing. It may even actually be my favorite version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, I'm going to show you a quick clip of it here since we couldn't discuss it. I encourage everyone to seek it out and check it out. It was made in the 90s. Um, it's not easy to find, though. But if you can find it, I think you'll really enjoy it. And here is a clip from Invasion of the Bunny Snatchers. More appetizing in the morning. It's no use. I just can't sleep. My delicate inner sense of danger tells me that there's something faintly foreboding in the atmosphere. Elmer Fudd was a pale stereotype of his former self. Even paler than the original, if that's possible. And Sam wasn't Sam, but an unreasonable facsimile thereof. A not-so-incredible simulation. And that duck, sure, it, it walked like a duck, and quacked like a duck, but it... it... Yes? What's up, Doc? <laughs> 